The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 11. We will continue where we left off last week. And you came back. Last week, uh, that sermon uh, could have made some space for us in this, this room. Most of you, it looks like, came back because of the out of vacation, but good to see you here today. Uh, I always enjoy singing with the people of God. Isn't it good to gather with the people of God? Um, it's good, good to see you and see you actively engaged in serving Christ. Uh, couldn't help but to notice. We appreciate Ronnie uh, normally being on the drums. Ronnie's out of town, not here with us today. It's good to see Adam over there on the drums. And uh, Adam's our newest member and already plugged in serving. So, Adam, great job. Great to see you serving. And uh, so thankful for our, uh, those that lead us in worship through song. This morning, uh, this is a message that I preached the first part of last week with fear and trepidation. And still in fear and trepidation, I stand before you today. Uh, I have entitled this message, Worship as Submission. Worship as submission, and this is part two of that message. Let me give you just a little bit of background before we read the text. This is a text that is, like I said last week, uh, seemingly out of date. You read a text like this, a passage, and we scratch our heads and we say, that, does that really mean what I think it means? We read something like this talking about women wearing head coverings as they come to gather to worship, and we think, isn't that just a little bit out of date for 2013? And uh, pointed out to you last week something that you didn't need pointed out. Many have read this passage and said, oh, that's for a bygone time that's locked into a particular culture, a particular time that no longer has any application for us whatsoever. To which I would respond to say that we need this passage as much today as ever. We need this teaching because the Word of God, God has seen fit to include this in the Bible, in the Scripture, and we need it. Let me give you a, just a, a real-life couple of applications of this, why we need this. Gender roles are under attack in our culture, possibly like never before. Um, this past week, you saw the uh, Supreme Court strike down uh, or, or, or launch a strike against the Defense of Marriage Act that was overwhelmingly, uh, overwhelmingly supported, uh, uh, vote out in California to to not allow uh, homosexual same-sex marriages, and the Supreme Court voted this week to allow that, to go against the vote of people and to allow that, which will sweepingly, in, in times to come, force states who don't allow same-sex marriages to have to recognize same-sex marriages from other states as legal marriages in their state. This is gender under attack. Uh, this, just this past week, um, that, that happened. Uh, also, uh, we've been praying for and, and talking about going to Toronto. You see the sign out there. Many of you have wondered what's going on in Toronto. We're still very much engaged with Toronto. We've had some issues communicating with uh, church planners on the field so we can get a good connection there, but we're still very much as committed to Toronto as ever. Uh, we ask you to continue to pray. And here's one reason why. I told you that in Toronto, there's one church for every 124,000 people. Well, listen. Just a couple of weeks ago, uh, a few weeks ago, in Toronto, there was a lawsuit against the school board in Toronto for the right of a transgender student to be able 
Jews. He was born as a boy, but legally pronounced a girl at the age of four. And that, that <coughs> child's parents just won a lawsuit in Toronto uh, to be able to use the public restroom of their choosing. So the public restrooms at the school are open to whatever gender. You want to go to the girls' restroom and you're a boy, just go to the girls' restroom. You want to go to the boys' restroom and you're a girl, just go to that restroom. Gender is under attack in our day and age. And that's why this is relevant. Some women in the church here in Corinth were pushing those gender boundaries. Many of them were coming to church and they were refusing to follow those customs that set them apart as women and men as men. And they were pushing those boundary lines. They were refusing to wear the head covering in, in the gathered church in an attempt to blur the lines of gender. They had heard Paul preach things like that in Christ through faith we're all sons. And there are, there's no such thing as Jew or Greek. There's no such thing as slave or free or male or female. And they took that to mean that gender didn't matter anymore. That we're all sons. And while that is true in the sense of whether we are male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free, we are all heirs of God in Christ Jesus. It was never meant to do away with the distinction between gender. And so Paul addresses this here. And he does so from the standpoint of saying, submit. This is the applicable principle to us that has transcended time. No longer is wearing head coverings for women in church relevant to us. I'm not, I'm not saying that. We are not asking you to cover your heads when you come in. The Bible's point here is that there is a, an order that has been established by God. He's created us with specific roles. He expects us to live in those roles. While wearing head covering is not relevant anymore, this passage is teaching submission according to God's plan. And I told you last week that there were some common objections when a pastor stands up and begins to talk about submission to authority, and particularly in a passage like this where it seems to be that women are targeted here, women are asked to submit to men, there are especially some objections to passages like this and to this topic, some of those objections are things like, how come it's only the women that are asked to submit? We dealt thoroughly with that last week. We saw that it's not only the women who are asked to submit, but it's men also. Men asked to submit to Christ as they serve their wives, lay down their lives for them. Even Christ himself, we see this in the Trinity, who is equal with God in every way, functioned in a different role and submitted himself to the will of the Father and came aren't you glad they did? Other common objections are some things like, well, you're asking me to be a doormat. You just want me to lay down and be his slave. You're saying I'm worth less just because of my gender. This is just a way for men to control women. That's an outdated and antiquated teaching that was for a particular people at a particular time. These are all objections to this issue of submission. Today, I won't go back and rehash what we looked at in these first six verses last week, but we'll pick up in verse 7, and I want to show you, I want to answer some of those objections today, particularly those last four that I just gave. Let's look at our text, and then we'll dive in. I'm going to read all the way through 2 through 16. He says, Now I commend you, because you remember me in everything, and maintain traditions 
even as I delivered him to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with, with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it, is, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why I thought to have a similar authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, a woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. <clears throat> now my attempt is not going to be to unpack every single nuance and detail of this passage. We would be here for weeks if, if I were try to do that. I've broken this passage into two weeks, and I, I want to answer these objections today. The first one is this. To the objection, well, you're asking me to be the doormat. The answer would be, submission is not without design. Submission is not without design. In verse 7, he says, For a man ought not to cover his head, since he's the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. I don't know if you picked up on it, but you notice the difference there between men and women. Paul says the man is both the image and the glory of God. But he says of the woman that she is only the glory of man. Now, what is Paul saying here? Is Paul denying here that woman is also created in the image of God? Well, no. Paul, in fact, he's going to refer back to the creation account. And so if he does that, he's certainly aware that in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, that there it teaches that God created both male and female in the image of God. So he's not denying that women are image bearers as well. He's simply making a point about the order of roles. So what's his point? What does he say? What does he mean when he says that woman is the glory of man? Well, verses 8 and 9 give us a clue. Answer. In verse 8, he says, Man was not made from woman, but woman from man. This is obviously going back to the creation account to Genesis 2, where God performs the first surgery, puts Adam to sleep, removes the rib, and creates woman. Now, God could have made woman first and put Eve to sleep and removed one of her ribs and created Adam from the rib, couldn't he? So why does he create man first, then woman? Is this accident? Is, is this simply God just, you know, there's no there's some sense in this? Well, to answer that question, I would simply ask you, when you look at the rest of creation, do you think that there's just this haphazard, casual approach to the way things are designed? I don't think so. 
I've been never, a lot of times, I'll be out in the yard working and I'll see something out in the, in, in the yard. I told you before about the spiders and the webs and how intricate that is. This past week, last Sunday, Atlanta and I left and we went down to Charleston. And one of the things we did while we were there is we drove out to the Isle of Palms. And we had never, we had blown away. We'd gone to Myrtle Beach many times, we'd gone to the Gulf Coast many times, but we had never seen a beach like this. Apparently the tide was out, and there was there was a beach, and then there was a, a river that flowed through the beach, and then there was a sandbar at the beach again, and then there was the ocean. And it was, it was an amazing thing. I was blown away at this. If you've been at the beach before, you've seen the tides rise and the tides fall. Just amazing. You think, this is, this is an amazing thing. This is by design. If you watch any of those shows on the Discovery Channel about North America or any of these things, you see just the intricate, strategic, thought-out, planned, deliberate design. Birds that migrate year after year after year to the same place to lay their eggs and all these things. Just amazing design. If you look at all of that, do you then look at this and say, well, no order here. There's no intentionality that God created the man first. It just, just so happened that way. And one of them happened first. I think Paul's point here is, is he says, look, it's not by accident. Woman was not, was not first. She was created from man. And his point is that you should always give honor and respect to your source. And we talked about this last week, that when he uses the word head, he literally means authority. And the husband is not the source of his wife, but the man is the source of the woman in the creation account. Adam is put to sleep, and Eve comes from his body. It's what he says. He declares, this is now bone of my bone. Paul's point is that we should always, one should always give respect and honor to the source from which one came. We know this. We, we believe this. Isn't this what is being taught when the Bible says, children, honor your father and mother? It's saying, they are your source. They are where you came from. Honor them. Don't we also know this in a secular sense? That when we grow up with someone, someone we've known begins to, to get successful, they go off chasing a career, and they begin to get successful, and we say to them, don't forget where you came from. Right? What we're saying is that there's something right, there's something proper about showing honor and respect to the source. And that's Paul's point. And then in verse 9, he says, Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. We know this is going back to the Genesis account as well, where God looks at Adam and says, It's not good that he should be alone. I'll make for him a helper. We told you that last week, that word helper is a word that means one who supplies strength, one who supplies strength in the area that is lacking in the one that's helped. And so when, when God looks at Adam in the garden and he sees he's naming all these other animals, exercising authority over them, but there's not one like him, he creates Eve for him. Not just from him, but for him. And therefore, woman, since she's created for the man, should, instead of rebelling against that, 
function according to that design. There is design there. In other words, the one was created to help the man with the tasks that God gave him to do. Some of you are about ready to check out on me, but listen to me. Women, you are never showing more honor to your creator than when you are functioning according to your design. And this is not some male chauvinist pig standing in a pulpit, and I just happen to have the mic, just trying to control women. This is what's revealed in the pages of scripture is the word of God. When you say, I'm going to function not seeking my own pleasure, not, not going after my own will and way, but I'm going to function where God has designed me to function, you are bringing honor to your Creator. You're seeking to complement the, the men that God has placed in your life. You are functioning according to that design. Well, in the same point that, that submission is not without design, there's another verse here in this passage that we can't ignore, we can't just skip over. This is more like teaching than it is preaching. But in verse 10, he says, This is why a woman should have a symbol of authority on her head for the sake of the angels. What is, what is that about? Because of the angels. What is that? What does that mean? The scriptures teaches that somehow when we gather and we worship, that angels are, are somehow observing, somehow looking in. And they do this because they long to see worship carried out as it was designed. And when creation steps out of those bounds that God has placed, those roles that God has given, the angels are eerily reminded of when Lucifer stepped out of his bounds to receive the worship for himself instead of directing it on to, to God. And there's something that pushes back for them they long to see creation carry out their God-given design. There's a movement in modern evangelical feminism. And, and what they argue when they come to this thing of gender distinction and roles is they say, well, you know, yes, there's distinction in roles and gender, but that's all because of the fall. That's all in the Genesis 3 world. God never really intended for there to be distinction in men and women. Paul is saying here, that is not true because look, I'm referring back to the Genesis 1 and 2 world. This is before the fall. God is not saying that gender roles are a consequence. And submission is a consequence. That authority is a consequence. What God is saying here is that submission and authority and gender are by His design. From the beginning. It's what caused Him to say it is very good. You see it? The world will tell us that, that all authority, submission to authority is unnecessary and it is wrong. But I would say to you, imagine a world where there was no authority. Imagine driving through traffic when there were no traffic signs or, or any traffic lights at all. Would you ever feel, feel safe as you approach the intersection? Would you ever even make it to the intersection? Because traffic would probably be backed up because of all the accidents that would take place. People would drive at whatever speed they wanted to, slow and fast. They would all think that they owned the highway and there would be chaos. Imagine a world where there was no authority over, uh, over, over children. What time would kids go to bed? What would they choose to eat for dinner? How would they do in school? Imagine a world where there, were, there was no authority, there was no such thing as 
police. Someone sees something you have that they want, there's nothing to say that they can't have it, so they would just come and take it. And in that world, the strongest wins. See, authority is a gift. It's not a consequence, it's not a punishment, it's a gift from God. Whether it's a parent exercising authority over a child or a policeman exercising authority over a citizen, whether it's a husband exercising authority in the marriage relationship with the wife, it's all a gift from God. It's by His design. And every single person who is in authority does so not of their own authority, but with something that they can give. They are vice regents. They are ruling, not seeking after their own will and way, but they are there representing Him to bring about His will and His way. And if you can get your head around that, it will help you to be able to submit to authority so much better. If you can see that that person who is in authority over you is not there because they're just bigger and stronger, but God's placed them there, then you can submit to them as if you're submitting to God. Let's go on. Another objection to this issue of submission and authority uh, says, you're saying that I'm worth less just because of my gender. To which I would say, and this one needs to be heard, submission is not inferiority. Submission is not inferiority. Verses 11 and 12, he says, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Paul knew that some men would hear this, and they would take it to a place that was never meant to be taken to. He knew that some men would abuse this, would abuse their power, and abuse women. Paul knows this, and so he wants to make it clear that in the beginning, in creation, this was so, that woman came from man. But now, ever since, every man has come from woman. Do you know a man has not come from a woman? Even Jesus himself, Son of God, was born to the Virgin Mary. Every man since has come to a woman. So he says, you cannot say, there's not one sex that can say, I'm better. You, you need me, I don't need you. There's not one of us that can say that. There's not one that is exclusive. Submission is not inferiority. We need one another. We, have, we, may, we may have different roles, but we are equal. In essence, we matter. Let me illustrate how many of you have uh, a set of towels hanging in a bathroom that are off limits? Right? The other day, I see, I see my son come walking through the house and all the rest of the towels, the laundry's not been done yet, and he comes walking through the house and he's got this, this black towel with this, what's that print? Twelve. Whatever twelve is. It's, it's like on the edge, and it's all like embroidered, and it's nice, and he's coming to the house, he's going to the shower. And I knew, son, I'm going to save your life today, don't use that towel. Why? In his mind, he said, why? It's a towel. Because he's thinking function. Its role is the same. It can dry him off. A towel can clean up a mess, regardless of what it looks like. But that towel has been set apart for another function. It is equal, but it's been set apart. The same way, 
go out to your shop or your garage. My dad used to lift the hood and right tucked in beside the battery, he would always keep some old rag. It's usually an old t-shirt or something. He would just tuck that thing in there so that he would be ready to check the oil at the drop of a hat. My dad could check the oil more times than anybody would plan. That's what he loves to do. Go home, check your oil later. <laughs> you know? That rag, that towel has a different purpose. It's still a towel. And that's what we see in gender roles. Both are towels, but they've been created to function in totally different ways. We see this operating in the Trinity again. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, equal. Each one equally God, but relating to one another differently. The Father commanding and decreeing, the Son obeying and carrying that out, the Holy Spirit applying what's been achieved by the Son. We see this. They are equal, but they function differently. Submission is not inferiority. Sadly, in many societies, women have been treated very, very poorly, very badly. Used by men to abuse their God-given authority for their own gain. Seen as property. But I would say to you today that no one has done more for women than Jesus. No, no other religion. I don't classify Christianity as a religion, but the world does. No other religion has done more for women than Christianity. Listen to what John MacArthur says. Far from oppressing women, the church has been their greatest liberator. In Greek and Roman societies, most women were little more than slaves. The possessions of their husbands, who often virtually bought and traded their wives at will. It was largely because of this inhumane treatment of women that feminism became so popular in the Roman Empire. In many Jewish communities, the, women, the woman's situation was not much better. Divorce had become easy and commonplace, but it was almost entirely the prerogative of the man. Some Jewish men held women in such low esteem that they developed a popular prayer in which they, they thanked God that they were not born a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being a woman in that day and age to thank God for the cross? Thank God for Galatians 3 that says, In Christ were all sons. No, nothing, no one has done more for women than Jesus and Christianity. Men, what this means, when I say, say to you that submission is not inferiority, men, listen to me. This means that she is not yours to boss around. She is not your slave. She is not your plaything. She is not your property. The authority that you have is not yours. It has been given to you. You are there as a vice regent to do the will of the one who's given you the authority. It's not your prerogative to lead her in the direction that leads her away from God. You are there at his better call. The same way that Isaiah 6, those, those angels fly around, seraphim fly around the throne with six wings, two covering their face, two covering their feet, two flying back and forth, ready to do the bidding of God, the same way man, you've been put there to do His will. I heard a pastor yesterday, as I was listening to a sermon yesterday, say that, that one of the greatest privileges that we have as husbands 
is we, we have the responsibility to help prepare our lives for glory. That one day when we get into glory and we see her in all of her glorified state, we will rejoice and say, I knew you could be there. I knew this is what you could be. And then are we leading that way? Are we leading to rejoice in that? To, to move her as far along in this life as we possibly can? Teenage boys, are you going after girls for that purpose that one day you will find a wife and marry her and lead her to Christ? Or are you simply using her as a property to, to have a little fun in this day and age? Submission is not inferiority. God has designed us with roles. Let's live in those roles. Third, I've got to hurry. Submission is not unnatural. So wait a minute, didn't mean to say natural? Submission is not natural. No. Submission is not unnatural. Verses 14 and 15. Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it's a disgrace for him? But if a woman wears long hair, it's her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. It's important for us to realize what he means here by nature. When he says, does not nature itself teach you? When I first heard this, I thought, oh, he's referring to uh, the different gender roles that we see in all the animals and all the things that we see out in creation. And as I began to push this, number one, I thought, you don't see a lot of this. Long hair in the animals doesn't teach us this. In fact, it sometimes teaches us the opposite. Because when you look at some animals, sometimes out in the wild, the most brilliantly colored, the most brilliantly decorated is the man. So I thought, this is not exactly what he's saying here. So what is he saying? What does he mean by nature? Well, we know this based on how he used it in another place. In Romans 1, 26 and 27, where he uses it there to say that women left what was natural and pursued relationships with one another. Same words, using it to say that there, is, there are things that are just right. And there are some things that are just wrong. And there's an instinct of right or wrong that has been placed within us by God's And he says, does not this nature, does not this natural inclination to know what's right and what's wrong. Doesn't it say the same thing? Doesn't it teach us that men should look like men and women should look like women? Now, this verse has been wrongly used to teach things like men shouldn't have long hair. This wasn't used to teach that. That's wrong. Here's what it means. Uh, I think God's concerned with whether a man's hair is long or short. And, and how, would we, how would we, you know, measure that? We say, oh, you know, two inches is long, or four inches is long, six How would we do that? Paul's well, point is this. In every culture, what classifies as manly appearance and womanly appearance in every culture varies. Some places, I mean, it's, it's, it's really, really different than it is here. But he says here that a man should look like a man. That men shouldn't have appearance that's like a woman. The styles, whether hair or clothing, vary from culture to culture. Men should look like men in that particular culture. Women should look like women in that particular culture. You should know the difference. This makes sense. Illustrate it this way. If, if someone walked through these doors today, it was obviously a man, 
had to be here at the other day, but he was wearing a dress. You might scoot over a little bit, probably. He comes and sits down next to you. Maybe the restroom. You get up and you, you know, you come back to the seat, probably, right? Men look like men is his point. It's, it's unnatural for a man to dress like a woman or for a woman to dress like a man. I'll illustrate this another way. No one had to teach my kids what's appropriate for their gender. Um, my son has uh, about four things in his wardrobe. Uh, those four things are shorts, jeans, t-shirts, hoodies. That's what I did, right? Come down, come downstairs, he comes out of his room, he's got a combination of those on just about every time. Sometimes you go in my daughter's bedroom and it looks like the closet exploded. Right? And this is no this is no sign on her because this is you know this is the way this is the way all girls do. All these parents are here to say this is yeah, it just happens. If you've got teenage girls, it just happens. The closet just randomly explodes sometimes, you know? Why? I say, Abby, why does your room look like this? Well, it just does. Well, why does it just does? You know, what, what happened? Well, you know, I had to try it all on. You had to try all this on? Well, yeah. It's all cute, but i got to find the right combination, right? She knows that there's something different. She wants to find the right look. If you go into the, the bathroom, there's like hair bands and everything else everywhere. I was in my car the other day and heard something rolling around. There's eyeliner in my car. <laughs> what not? Just in case you wonder. Nobody has to teach us this. This is unnatural. If my son comes out of the bathroom one day, eyeliner on, he is not coming out of the house, right? His room looks like it exploded for other reasons, but this is not natural for men to dress like women. He says, doesn't nature teach us this? Submission is not unnatural, it's natural. Scripture teaches us this, nature teaches us this. The last one is this, and third. Submission is not easy. Submission is not easy. Verse 13. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with your head uncovered? Paul is instructing women that they when they pray or prophesy in church, they should do so with their heads covered. His point is this, and it's a point that needs to be made, that both men and women are instructed to participate in worship. He says here, when men, when women pray and prophesy, they each of them do so in different ways, but they're both included in this corporate worship. And he specifically says to a woman, when a woman prays or prophesies, she should do so in a way that makes it clear that she is submitted to God's design of evolution. Now that's a bold statement. Does somebody push back on that? But I remind you that your problem is not with me, it's with God. He's the one who's lined this out. He's the one who's designed it this way. Paul is going to great lengths to show us this, and he puts it back in their lap, and he says, now you've got to make a decision. He says, look, I can preach to you, you this, I can tell you this, I can show you God's word, I can show you this in nature, but ultimately it comes 
down to, are you going to be contentious or are you going to be submissive? He says, you've got to personally decide. And I will tell you, this will not be easy. Women in the room, this will not be easy. Men in the room, as you submit to the leadership of Christ to lead your life as you are called to lead her. Lead in the home, lead in the family, lead in romance, lead in the church. This is not going to be easy. Sometimes it will feel like backing up in your state. Every bit of the culture is going to be coming against you, saying, that's not right, that's not right, that's not right, you shouldn't do that. Who says, who says a restroom should have to be for boys and have to be for girls? Let them switch them back and forth, and it's going to feel like swimming backwards against the culture. It's not going to be easy, but you're going to have to decide, will I be submitted to the culture, or will I be submitted to my I won't tell you exactly, this is what some of you are waiting for me to say, I won't tell you exactly how this should be applied in your marriage. I'll, I'll simply say this. Uh, this is going to work itself out in, in a number of different ways according to you and your marriage, but I'll simply say this. What this means is that husbands and wives, as they are doing life together, when they come to a crossroad, a fork in the road, and, and they don't know exactly which path to take, the wife says, I'd really rather us go this way. The husband says, no, I think we should go this way. In that situation, the Bible teaches that the husband's vote breaks the tie. And then it's, it's the wife's role to follow her husband. I can't tell you how many times I've heard my wife say, I'll go wherever he wants to go. I don't, I, don't, I don't necessarily agree with this one. I don't know that I, I don't know that I really feel like this is you know, right for us, but I trust you. You're leading us according to how you believe God's leading us, and so I'm going to follow you. Now, what this means for husbands, another application here is this. Husbands, you should lose most of the discussions. If you're one of these guys, you, you always got to win. What do you want for supper tonight? I thought we'd have chicken. I don't want chicken. You know? I want, I, want, I want steak tonight. And you got to fight for that. And you always got to be right. And you've always got to have your way. She's going to struggle to follow you. But if all those things that are unimportant and they don't matter and you're not long term, if, if, if you will lose most of those when it comes down to a really significant issue and you are convinced that this is the way that we should go, she will be more willing and more Verse 16 says, if anyone is inclined to be contentious. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice in the churches of God. Now, sadly, we all know people in the church who have been contentious, who've liked to stir up trouble, who've liked to argue, who have refused to submit to authority, who don't want to be led. They have to always push back. I've known people that have said, you know, I vote no in every vote just because, hey, we've got to keep things honest, you know. Those type of people, all sadly know those types of people in the church who like to be contentious. The Bible speaks of contentious women. Proverbs 19.13 says, uh, a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. This is, this is just something that is not just a minor irritation, but it is a leaky roof that is eventually going to cause structural damage that will eventually bring down the home. This is a contentious woman. 
Proverbs 21 9 says it's better to live in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. The picture here is it'd be better to sleep on the edge in the corner of the roof than to share the bed with her. How do you like that? You know? It's not just women. See, submission is an issue for all of us. Authority is an issue that touches every single one of us. Men, women, children, all of us. This is why 1 Timothy 6 says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with, you, with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Let us not be a people. Men, women, children who are contentious, who crave <coughs> dissension, who crave argument. Let us be a people that submit to the design of God. The church is no place to be contentious. Paul says to men, look, if you insist on this, the decision is yours. But if you persist in this, the church has no such practice of this. He would expect then that the church would exercise church discipline on this one who continues to be contentious. But by submitting to his headship through those that he has put over us, whether that's a husband, or whether that's a parent, or whether that's a police officer, or whether that is a boss, whatever the case may be, when we submit to him by submitting to those that he's placed over us, he is glorified. We begin to truly prosper, and the world can't help but to see a compelling picture of the kingdom of Christ. Submission as worship. Let's pray. God, God, we're long. God, I pray Lord, that you would give us patience. We look at this text together as we come before your word and know that we need it more than we need breath in our lungs. God, I pray that you would take it down and apply it. God, that you would help us to wrestle with it and wrestle through it. God, that we would not wrestle against you, but God, that we would wrestle against our flesh that tells us not to submit. God, by the power of Christ in us, that we would submit to those that you put over us. Remind us that if it's not too much, if it wasn't too much for you, Lord Jesus, equally God, to submit to the will of the Father, it should not be too much for us to submit to you, your plan, and those that you put over us. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.